Well, good morning, Wellspring and whoever's watching online. I want to say happy Resurrection Sunday to you. Happy Easter to you. Uh, he is risen, and I know you're, there's a resounding. He is risen indeed, happening all over the, the world. I'm so glad that even though we are a scattered community right now, we are part of a great and large gathering of faithful followers of Jesus Christ who are celebrating across the globe today. While there is a global pandemic happening, there is also a global surge of praise and prayer to the risen King Jesus. So let's remember this Easter day as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ that we are joining a great company of people from every nation and tribe among the earth and with all of heaven saying that Jesus is alive. I'm so glad we get to be part of your resurrection service in Sunday today. So glad to have you here. Uh, Pastor Rick, when in his opening, uh, he was reading from Luke chapter 24, the passage where uh, the women who have been faithfully following Jesus are going to the garden, going to the tomb where Jesus has been laid, his body has been laid, and they're going to honor Jesus in his death by preparing him for his burial forever. And as they go, they encounter these angels who show up and they ask the, the women these questions in Luke 24. They say, um, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Many of us have read that passage a hundred times, especially on Easter, and we maybe have never even thought about it. But the angels are asking a pretty provoking question for these women who are visiting the tomb to think about. The reality was, they weren't looking for the living. They were looking for a body. They were looking for Jesus' dead, lifeless body. They weren't looking for the living in that way because they didn't know yet that Jesus was alive. That's what the angels were about to tell them. The question that the angels asked seemed logical from the angels' point of view because they already knew that Jesus was alive. They knew he had been risen from the dead. This was a great question, though, for them to ask. And I think it's still a great question even now. Here's the question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? And what are you looking at? Those are two really important questions. Why are they important? Well, because that, that phrase, what are you looking for? Looking is really about seeing. Well, that's obvious. But what we're talking about is not just seeing with our eyes. The seeing we're talk talking about is about perspective. Our perspective is impacted by what we were, are looking at and what has our attention. Our perspective is impacted by what we look at and what has our attention. It's not only what we are seeing, but how we are seeing things in life. Well, let me give you an example of kind of what I'm talking about, what we're looking at and how we see things from our perspective. In, I think it was about 2003, I was with a group of people that were going to a country in East Africa called Rwanda. I have a great heart for Rwanda. I've been there several times. And on this particular trip, it happened to be over Super Bowl weekend. 
Now, that's a big deal for me because many of you know I'm a Patriots fan. So pretty much every year for the last 20 years, Super Bowl weekend has meant that the Patriots were going to be in the Super Bowl and I get to watch what's going on. But the problem is, is while we're in Rwanda over Super Bowl Sunday, we weren't in a city where we could watch it. We were actually in rural areas, up in the hillsides, up in villages, up in remote places, and we had no opportunity to watch the Super Bowl taking place back in America. So we asked one of our friends who is living in the capital city of Kigali, hey, can you do us a favor? Can you actually record the Super Bowl? And when we get back in a week's time, we're going to watch it together with fresh eyes as if we've never seen or heard anything about it. All week long, we're doing ministry around the hillsides and the countryside, working with people, and um, we're working really hard not to find out anything about the game. We're, we're really trying to, to stay away from newspapers and from everything like that so we can come in back to the city and watch this game with fresh eyes, not knowing anything. So we come back and we're, we have a, a great dinner and we even find a way to make chicken wings in Rwanda and we're getting ready to watch. It was our last night in the country. We're going to watch this game. We didn't know anything that had happened at all. And so we gather together with, uh, with this group that we've been with traveling around and we start watching the game. And it was great. It felt like we were almost, it was so great to watch the Super Bowl in another country, even though it's a week later. Uh, And so one thing that kept happening was the power kept cutting out. That's pretty typical in Kigali at the time for power to come in and out. And so that was a little frustrating. But the other thing that was really frustrating was the Patriots weren't playing well, especially in the first half. And, you know, we would just start to do a little bit better. And we thought, oh, no, here we get some momentum. What's going to happen? And then the power would cut out again. Then the power 20 minutes, 30 minutes 40 minutes later, we'd come back on, and then we'd get back involved in the game. And, you know, then the the Patriots were still not playing well. There were a couple key injuries, and we're really feeling this tension and anxiety trying to watch this game. And then I, I started to notice that there was one guy in the room that didn't seem troubled by the power going out or the score on the scoreboard or the injuries taking place or all the issues that we're seeing there. He seems fine. He's actually kind of smiling and relaxed and he's just watching the game and he's looking at us and he's eating food and he's totally at peace. Here's the reality. Why was his experience different? He knew the end of the, the game. He knew the score at the end of the game. He was the guy who recorded it. He watched the whole game. He knew everything that happened and he was just watching us watching the game. He was watching what we were watching, but what he was looking at had a totally different perspective from what we had. All I could see were the issues and the injuries and the power going out. All I could focus on is the score of the game and the lack of scoring from the Patriots as I would only focus on what I knew in that moment. That's what I was seeing. But he was seeing the same game, experiencing the same power issues, but his perspective was shaped by knowing the outcome of the game. What he was looking at and what I was looking at were totally different experiences because of our perspective. The key point is that is this. What we look at and how we see those things is a powerful factor in how we experience the realities of life. Let me say it again. What we look at 
and how we actually see it, our perspective, is a powerful factor in shaping how we experience realities, even the current realities of our life. Last week, we were looking at Jesus. In the story of the account where Jesus was feeding the 5,000, we looked at that passage in Matthew 14, and we saw that Jesus, when he was meeting their needs, he had them slow down, sit down, and lay down. That's what we looked at in being able to receive from Jesus. We often have to, in the midst of our need, learn how to slow down, sit down, and lay down. But there's another important part of that story that often gets missed. But I think it's really important, especially on this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday. I'd love to have you turn with me to Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 15 again, and then I'm going to connect it to Easter in a second. It says this as verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replies, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus and the disciples were looking at the exact same situation. But they saw it very differently. See, the disciples were looking at the size of the crowds, over 5,000 of them. The disciples were looking at the size of the problem they had in front of them. They were looking at the size of the need. They were looking at their own meager portions of resources they had compared to the size of the problem and the needs of the crowds. They were looking down and around at their current situation. Jesus, however, he looked up. Did you catch that? Look back in verse 20 again. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. That's what we looked at last week. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Did you catch that? Jesus looked up. And it says here, he looked up to heaven. The disciples were looking at the size of their current reality and the problems within it, but Jesus looked up to heaven and the size of his father. Jesus lived in that posture. He lived in a posture of looking up and keeping his eyes fixed on his father, fixed on the majesty of of heaven, fixed on the living God rather than being moved by the realities that he faced in the situations that he encountered. Jesus is moved by his heart for people, but he's never moved by the realities of a situation that he faced. 
You see this time and time again, where Jesus is often moved by what's going on in people and his compassion for them. But Jesus never seems to be moved just by the realities of a problem within a situation, whether it's a storm that he faced or whether it being tested by people, whether it being controlled by the power sources that were trying to work through him, whether he was dealing with the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor and the political leaders, religious leaders and opposition. Jesus doesn't get moved by the circumstance because his eyes are fixated on his father. We get fixated by the darkness of the raging storms. Jesus gets fixated by the beauty and majesty of God. Jesus modeled a lifestyle of looking up when all of us often are looking down. Kevin, what does that have to do with Easter Sunday? Well, I would love to have you turn with me back to the book of Luke in chapter 21. Let me give you the context. We're going to start in verse 26. Let me give you the context that's what's happening. Luke 21 is before Jesus is going back to Jerusalem, before he's going to the cross, before the resurrection, and he's gathered his team together. He's gathered his friends, his disciples together, and he's trying to prepare them not only for the days ahead with his crucifixion and his rejection. He's trying to prepare them for the end of days, the end of humanity, the end of times as we often talk about that in scripture. Now before I read this, I I want to say this. I am not saying that our current situation we're in is the end of times. I don't know that. And the fact is, nobody knows that. We've been looking at these passages for 2,000 years, trying to figure out when it's all going to happen. But when we look at this passage, Jesus is letting them know some specific things. And I think if we look at this passage, we can see some parallels to the current crisis that we're in. And then we're going to see why we can have Jesus' perspective. If you look in verse 25, You can see here, he says this, and there will, and you can read the rest of the chapter talking about the end of times, but I want to start in verse 25. It says, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth. Nations will be in distress, anxious over the roaring of the sea and the surging of waves. People will be fainting from fear and from the expectation of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, arriving in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to happen, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, read that other part. Nations in distress, anxious over the roaring things around them. People fainting, literally falling down from fear, from the expectation of what is coming upon the world. And even the powers in the heavenly places are shaken. In verse uh, 28, in the New King James Version, it puts it this way. When you begin to see these things happen, Look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Do you see that that juxtaposition? He's saying, you know, when the rest of the world is falling down, look up, lift up your heads. 
Why should we be looking up when the rest of the world is falling down? Why should we be lifting our heads when the world is crumbling in fear and in distress during these times? Well, those are great questions. And the why of those questions, I think, can be answered in two really important eternal questions. And it's this. Why did Jesus even die? Well, many of you know the story, but in summary, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. All of us have offended God with our thoughts and our actions and our attitude, our behavior, the way we treat other people. At other times, we've violated the moral and scriptural laws of God. We've sinned, and there's a penalty for it. And Jesus died to pay our penalty. He died to provide a way back for us into the relationship with God that God desires with us. And Jesus did that to gain us peace with God. And Jesus did that so we can have peace with God. And if now we have peace with God because of his death, we can enjoy and receive the peace of God. Because here's the deal. If I put my faith and trust in Jesus dying on the cross for my sin, I can have peace with God. I can have the peace of God because I'm forgiven. I'm restored and reconciled to my creator. That means no matter what else is happening in the world around us, I am at peace with God. That's the first answer. The second question is, not only why did Jesus die, but then why did Jesus raise again? The answer is we have forgiveness through his death, but through his resurrection, the fact that the tomb is empty, that he's alive, is because Jesus came to conquer death. Not only did he come to deal with the penalty of sin, He came to deal with the reality of death. He came to conquer death. And Jesus is the only person that has resurrected on this planet of himself, of his own power. Jesus conquered death through the power of God. And his victory over sin and death gives him authority to rule and reign over us and for us and even through us and with us. His resurrection gives an establishment of his kingdom authority, not only in heaven, but for us here on earth. It's that victory is what gives us hope no matter what. His victory gives us hope in the midst of the whole world being distressed. Even at the worst of the end times, he said, look up, because you've got hope. Jesus told his closest disciples in his time, he says this. Think about this over a a dinner discussion. He says, in this world, you will have much trouble. Wow. Thanks, Jesus. That's a great way to have a dinner conversation, you know, to say, hey, I promise you, it's going to be really bad. Think about that. But then he says this, in this world, you will have much trouble, but take heart. What? What? What, Jesus? If I was there, I'm like, what? Why would I be taking heart right now? Why should I have hope? Why shouldn't this trouble that you're promising be troubling to me right now? And it's his next statement. Take heart, for I have 
overcome. I've overcome. That's what Jesus said. Have you ever watched a sporting event at the end of the game? The horn goes off, the whistle blows, the time has, has ended. Have you ever seen what happens to the defeated team? It doesn't really matter whether they lose by one point on a buzzer beater or they get annihilated. At the end of the game, what's the defeated team do? They often collapse or they just hang their heads. Just walk around and looking down. They cover their faces at times. You know, it's only the defeated team that hangs their heads. The victorious ones, their heads are lifted. They're looking up. They're looking up into the stands. They're looking up at the scoreboard. They're looking up at the confetti and the celebration taking place. Even little kids, when they win, they are looking for their mom and dad. Did you catch that on camera? They are rejoicing. No matter how hard the game was played, no matter what was taking place, when you're victorious, you lift your heads. If we have put our faith in the resurrected Jesus we know the score at the end of the game. We have victory. We have hope no matter what. We can always look up because Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave. He conquered death and he is sitting on the throne of heaven. We have hope because the tomb is empty we have hope because he is sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning on our behalf. We have hope because even in the battles of life, the war is won. We have hope because the victory through Christ is ultimately ours. We have hope because he lives. And because he lives, we can live and be alive. This isn't just some pie-in-the-sky optimism in the midst of darkness that I'm talking about. This isn't a denial of our current realities and circumstances and the suffering of the world, but this is an acknowledgement that even no matter how hard it is, and as Jesus is talking about the end of times, no matter how hard it gets for those who are in Christ, we need to look up. Just like Jesus looked up when he's meeting the needs of the crowds, he doesn't focus on the darkness of what's taking place. He doesn't deny it either, but he fixes his eyes towards heaven. And then he calls us to do the same because he knows the end of the game. And so do we. So do we. We've seen a lot of things on the news and in social media, every day we're bombarded by images and facts and data that can be scary. We're, we're getting the perspective of others in how they're seeing this situation. But one of the really encouraging things that I have seen lately is also how those of us who know the victorious king have responded in the midst of crisis with love and compassion and with grace and with serving and blessing our world and trying to meet the need and praying on behalf of our world in this situation. But I've seen a lot of people who know Jesus in some form or fashion looking up. 
One of the most powerful things I've seen over the last few weeks, I think is an expression of what Jesus is commending us to do on this Easter Sunday because we have victory. It, it was a video that someone had sent me and it's been posted online and I would encourage, well, even after this service, we'll post it on our Facebook page so you can watch it too. But what it is, it's in, it's in Brazil. It's in Rio de Janeiro, I believe. It's in a city center where there's tall apartment buildings as far as the eye can see. And there are thousands of people who live in this, in this crowded area, but they are in lockdown. They are in quarantine. They're in isolation. They're all separate, though packed together like sardines. And someone set up some speakers outside. And what they did was they set up these speakers and they started playing a familiar hymn in their known language, in Portuguese. And people came out into the balconies all over this apartment complex and this housing area. They came out and they began to sing. They began to rejoice. They began to look up and declare a truth that we have today. And every time I see and every time I think about it, I'm so moved, not because of just the powerful expression, but because the truth that is behind it. And they sing this familiar song, which we're about to hear. And the words are this, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds my future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. I want to encourage you, if you've never put your faith and trust in the living, resurrected God, his name is Jesus. I want to encourage you now to pray along with me. And maybe you've prayed this prayer before, but maybe you just want to, to say it again. And maybe it's been a long time since you've had faith in the victorious risen king in times of distress. And you just want to join your hearts to the reality of who he is and the victory he's won on our behalf. I'd encourage you just to pray with me now. Jesus, I believe that you are not in the ground or in the tomb somewhere, that you are alive. I thank you that you've paid the penalty for my sin. Thank you that you shed your blood on my behalf. That you paid the penalty and conquered sin. And that you rose again and conquered death. You faced death and conquered it so that you can give me life and life eternal. Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. And I ask not only to have the peace with God that you promised, but to have the peace of God that you have. And I choose now to put all that I have at your feet and trust you, the living God, with my whole life. Amen. I want to encourage all of us in this season, in this time, to recognize that we need to not fix our eyes on the chaos around us. Not that we ignore it, but that we choose in the midst of it to look up and to keep our eyes fixed on the glorious king who sits on his throne. May the Lord bless your Easter. May the Lord bless this season of your life. May the Lord enlarge your gaze and vision of the victorious king. He is risen.
Let's sing together and recognize the truth that he's alive. Bless you. Amen. Okay? All right. No. I mean, if I need to, yes. Can you just clap me in on that part? <laughs>